loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired, to create a deeper life, to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today, I'm welcoming Karen Grassley. Karen's the best known for playing one of television's most beloved mothers, the character of Ma on Little House on the Prairie, which aired for eight seasons on NBC and was one of the most successful dramatic series in TV history. For many fans, Grassley embodied the ultimate mother figure, and her portrayal of Caroline Ingalls continues to inspire audiences all over the world 40 years later. But who was she behind that? She's, she's written a memoir to let us know, Bright Lights, Prairie Dust, Reflections on Life, Loss, and Love from Little House's Ma. There are surprising and never-before-told details of what really happened on the Little House on the Prairie set. But there's so much more for any reader looking for an inspirational true story of a woman determined to find meaning in her life. It's a raw and authentic account of Grassley's struggles with alcoholism, depression, lack of self-worth, as she journeyed from struggling theater actress to world-recognized and adored television star. And we're going to talk about both her, your career and your losses and how, how you evolved over time. Welcome, Karen. Thank you, Cheryl. Good to be with you. Good to be with you, too. And uh, I wanted to start by saying we have something very uh, interesting in common, which was that we're both rather um, homing pigeons because we both live in the Bay Area. We're both born there left and now live. I live a mile from where I was born in Oakland. <laughs> and I know you live pretty close to where you started your life as well. So we yeah, I, I live about two miles from where the hospital was where I was born. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. <laughs> so we have that um, kind of the Bay Area is in our blood, uh, apparently, because here we are back here. Um, and I think we do share some experiences as a result, too, of um, that reference point. Could be that I must say the Bay Area drew me back. Uh, not only was I born in the area, I didn't grow up here, but I did go to Cal. And uh, I had always had a longing to come back to the East Bay. Me too. I came back when I was just barely 18, and it was a compelling drive to come back here after living oh, you've been here many since other you places. Were 18? I have. Oh I my have. goodness. <laughs> yes. Geez, that's a lot of years. <laughs> I'm 68 now. So, but on to what we're here to talk about. Uh, you know, I'm aware because one of my children is in. Um, in the industry, as they say, that um, people are, uh, you know, way more than than what we see in front of the camera, for sure. Um, but I I really appreciate kind of hearing the behind the scenes of you, and also just what it's like to do a series like that because it is not an easy thing, is it? 
Oh, no, it's not easy. Um, my typical day was to be at the makeup table at 6.30 in the morning and um, get my hair set wet, sit under a dryer, eat my breakfast there, have my makeup put on and uh, go down to the set where we were ready to rehearse at 8 a.m. And in the late afternoon, after the children's hours were up, then Mike and I did all the work that we had saved in order to save time and hours while the kids were working. And then we wrapped up around six in the evening. A real slog, uh, for sure. And also just, um, of course, that I watched that show, which is uh, slightly surprising to me looking back, just given that what I was busy doing at that time in my life was was coming out, uh, you know, hanging out in um, poetry readings in bars, basically, you know, um, very uh, that that was such an innocent show in some ways, wasn't it? Uh, but I think people at that time enjoyed visiting that as if it was ever really like that, but it was kind of a relief to visit that world, but it wasn't, yeah. it wasn't what it was like to, to create that world, was it? Well, I think many people, even today, turn to Little House on the Prairie like a comfort viewing um, because it's an idealized world. It's an idealized family where people show up for each other and you can trust and so on. So I know from talking with people that some people, if they have a hard day at work, they come home and they turn on Little House on the Prairie. Mm hmm. For sure. That makes a lot of sense to me. Um, but by the time you got there, that was, of course, not your original aspiration. Your original aspiration was to be um, strictly theater. Yes. My aspiration was to be the best actress I could be. Uh, and, I, and I was crazy about the theater. I started here in the Bay Area, then uh, trained in London, and then started a career in New York. And um, I had very high standards from this company that I joined in San Francisco called the Actors Workshop in the 60s. And our standards were very, very high. Um, and that was one of the reasons that I went back to Berkeley to continue my education and then went on to London to study was because I needed to be more so I could play all these different kinds of parts in all different kinds of plays, whether it was classical plays or avant-garde plays that had never been seen before. I wanted to be able to fit into all of them. You know, I'm, I, I'm of course, deeply interested in, in how we learn and grow in life. And I'm aware that your childhood was good in some ways, also challenging, uh, especially in terms of your father's alcoholism, and that the things you were talking about in the book that you struggled with as an actor, uh, you know, uh, perfectionism, uh, not feeling you were good enough, insecurity, 
uh, drinking a lot. <laughs> Those are common things that come out of that kind of childhood for lots of people. And uh, I always think if we love something enough, it teaches us eventually. <laughs> so it, it occurred to me that you kind of came to terms with that because of your desire to keep being an excellent actor. And eventually you had to kind of deal with all that, didn't you? That's a very good insight because for in many, many cases and for many, many years, work was my medicine. Uh, work was what kept me going. My motivation to do good work, my uh, desire to um, share this gift that I had and to in some way contribute to the world. Um, and this was my path. So I took it on like, um, uh, yeah, like my path. Yeah, and and we can't assume, you know, for me, path is, has been largely relationship. And I relate for a living. I'm a therapist, I'm a radio host, you know. Um, so that evolved into what I do, but you knew what, what your gift was and what you wanted to do right from the start. And I'm also aware that had costs in, in relationship, in, in a sense of peace. And I know an actor's life is, is very um, unpredictable, up and down, uh, not steady for sure. <laughs> and, you know, I, I stopped encouraging acting per se in my daughter pretty young because I didn't think that lack of stability would work for her personality, even though she was very good, you know, uh, she's in other parts of that industry. Um, but it does take that, doesn't it? Kind of a resiliency around change. Well, I must say my own mother went to bed weeping when I finally made my commitment to go into acting. And she wailed, anything but theater or politics. Oh. They just wanted a stable, secure life for me. You know, they were very devoted parents. And they had been through tremendous insecurities during the Depression. And then they had worked very hard to get us some stability. So they really wanted us to be able to hold on to that. It, <laughs> this is another thing. Um, I'm going to have you read a little bit from the book in a minute, but this is another thing I, I really resonated with because uh, similarly, my mother, uh, we did different things, but she was, my life was not stable for a long time. And she was similarly unhappy about it. And for similar reasons, I think that's a real generational thing. But ironically, it felt to me like their um, drive to be stable did allow me anyway, you can tell me if it's true of you, to imagine more. Absolutely. Um, That's one of the things I told her was, you know, because you have provided all this, I am able to take these chances. So I'm going to have you read a little piece of your book from getting divorced early on. That must have been a little tough for her as well as my breakups. I couldn't get married, so there weren't a lot of divorces, but <laughs> um, my breakups similarly 
gave her no way to really understand my life because that my parents were never going to split no matter what, you know, <laughs> as kind of inviolate. Um, and I get that sense of your parents too. You know, they came apart a little bit at times, but they never broke. Um, in, in fact, my parents, as I look back on it, had an incredibly strong marriage, despite the alcoholism, despite the codependence, they shared their values. They worked together they were a real team you know mm, yes so even though they had difficulties um they were a, a good role model in many ways and yet you know when i know for me when there wasn't that perfect someone forever kind of thing um it it was i mean obviously there were lots of breakups in the lesbian community based on um, lots of things that had to do with um, oppression. But um, still, I had that image from them of, you know, you meet someone and that's that. And it was hard to come to terms with a split. So uh, you were telling me before the show, that was kind of the, the first major loss, the first major grief that you had to endure. Would you like to share a bit uh, from yeah, that before our break? Yeah. So my young husband and I moved to New York City, out of work actors to try and find work. And we struggled and we were lucky to get a rent control apartment. And we continued to struggle and the marriage didn't survive. And in New York at that time, the way the laws were written, uh, you couldn't get a divorce unless you had a person swear that they were an eyewitness to adultery by the other partner. So many, many people got a Mexican divorce. Mm -hmm. So that's what I got was a Mexican divorce. <clears throat> um, the fee included airfare. And the next morning in El Paso, two other clients and I were met by a Mexican attorney and ferried across to Juarez in a bright red VW bus for a perfunctory proceeding in an old adobe courthouse. After souvenir shopping and lunch, this was the all-inclusive divorce, we were driven back to the airport and boarded our planes. After the two tiny airline drinks were gone, I retrieved my souvenir package, went to the restroom, opened the tequila, drank, and bawled my eyes out. In New York, I retrieved my dog from my neighbor and climbed the three flights to the empty apartment. In the morning, I called my doctor to ask if he would prescribe a heavy painkiller. He said no. At Dr. Paulson's, this was my analyst, I twisted in my chair as I poured out the truth. I wanted heroin. I couldn't stand the pain. Karen, she said, you have a broken heart. I wept. If you had a broken arm, you would get it set. Take care of it. Let it heal. You must do the same for your broken heart. You have to grieve. Take time. Take care of yourself. I argued that I couldn't, that I 
couldn't face the market or anything, any people, even the people in the park where I needed to walk my dog. And no, I couldn't afford to go somewhere to rest. There's a place, she said. A friend of mine goes there when she's finishing a book. It's a convent where the sisters take care of people in need. It's in Connecticut, not far from the train station, and it costs just a few dollars a night, room and board. Oh, I, I don't think I could face talking to people. You don't have to talk at all. Really? Could your neighbor watch your dog? So that was how I left New York on the train and went to this convent where I enjoyed a private room, peace and quiet, walked then among the autumn leaves, the damp road, and began to be able to just experience my loss instead of running from it. You know, you were very fortunate because not every therapist is, is particularly good at grief. I'll just say that for my profession. Um, you know, either because they haven't experienced it or they are not trained in it. There's no requirement to be trained in grief. At least there wasn't uh, when I was in school. Um, and her wisdom that actually you had to feel it. There was no way out of it. Very, very helpful. I'm glad you had that. Let's go to a break and then come back and talk about that. Listeners, you'll find you'll you'll find links to my website and social media at the Good Grief page at Voice America. To find Karen Grassley, go to Karen Grassley. It's G-R-A-S-S-L-E dot net. Be back soon. What sets apart VoiceAmerica.tv from the other video content providers on the internet? Choice and flexibility means that you can host your video content live or on demand on the main VoiceAmerica.tv channels through your own branded media player or your own private TV channel. We support multiple media formats, so all of your video content can be in one place. We offer a number of advertising and video packages. For more information, visit VoiceAmerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. Can grief be good for you? Absolutely. It gets your attention, helping you evaluate your choices and relationships. Your losses define who you are. Tune in each week for Good Grief with host Cheryl Jones. Our show features those who have made incredible transformations by grieving their losses. You'll learn how to find your courage and strength. You'll discover the important things in your life and how to let go of things that are less important. Good Grief airs live Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health and Wellness. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. 
If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between, discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. It's your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Karen Grassley about her memoir, Bright Lights, Prairie Dust. And Karen, during the break, I was just saying that it seemed as if you always had a seeking soul, you know, that you went to a therapist when things were tough and you tried to, you know, I always say if I could choose one thing from all my clients would be that they use their experiences to grow. Uh, you know, that they know that's a possibility because that keeps you going in really terribly hard times. But it does seem like um, throughout your life, you've looked for places to reflect and, and grow. Yes. And I don't know whether that was just my nature or whether uh, my wise parents helped me to be reflective. Uh, but I take great pleasure in learning and feeling that I am growing. And it helps me very much with the big hurdles because I have really experienced that if I'm willing to go through them to the other side, that life gets lighter, life mm-hmm. gets happier. Amen to that. <laughs> We're on the same page on that one. And also, what I noticed at several points in the book was that even if you had insecurity, you know, residue from childhood, all of that, uh, you seem to come to trust your own perception of a thing. For instance, some of the things you talk about that happened on the set of, of uh, Little House on the Prairie, that now we would kind of put in the category of, of Me Too experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, not always sexual, sometimes um, just uh, demeaning or diminishing kinds of experiences. Right. You felt in yourself that was wrong, and you tried to figure out how to respond to it, which I know a lot of people in your generation probably just took it because they wanted the part or whatever. And, and um, as we a result, take it. we did take it um, because we didn't have options. Right. Um, you know, you could you could quit your job, but this was pre-Anita Hill. There was yes. no term for sexual harassment. There were there were no uh articles about it, you know. Uh and as girls, we learned to navigate uh these dicey situations um 
sometimes by laughing at it, sometimes by pretending it didn't happen, um, sometimes by acting stupid, mm. you know, just to get through safely. And I, I yes. seem to have a good feel for how to um, get through those kinds of a thing. And I was already a professional by the time I got to New York. So I wasn't vulnerable like these gals who arrive, you know, 18, 19 years old with no professional background. And they're so vulnerable. But I was already a pro. So in a way, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't vulnerable the same way. <laughs> I hear you. And also you... You knew your talent and worth as an actor by 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 the time Little House on the Prairie came along, certainly. And well, before Little House on the Prairie came along, I was doubting this as my career. I thought were you? Yeah, yeah, that's I, I recall that, but you were still had some drive in you though, right? <laughs> well, I had enough drive to try one more time mm. and get those new photos and get them to the agent. And when the agent called me and said, there's a new series, I think you should go for this interview. I said, well, which one is Michael Landon? (laughs) (laughs) He doesn't, he doesn't come out especially well in your memoir. (laughs) Well, you Um, know, know, very uh, interesting, talented, prolific, guy and I loved working with him until he turned on me so you know you have to have a balance there right definitely I got both of those things and and I was also thinking how how in the in the groove that kind of behavior not paying women what they what they deserved um freezing you out you know uh demeaning things just part of the territory at that point yes i i hope that's changing but i i don't know for sure well i had a good talk with megan kelly and she said that it's in the law that you cannot create that kind of negative atmosphere for somebody now and um, I, I told her, you know, I would uh, file suit today. I mean, you can't you can't do that now. And you might you would file suit because you might win. You know, it might get it might work. <laughs> I wonder at that time. No, how, there was nothing. Yeah, nothing to really rely on. And yet what I was referring to was just at a certain point, you said, I'm holding out. You're going to pay me what I'm worth. At least that, right? And uh, was yes. that was it equal pay? Probably not, but well, at least I fought for I, something, right? Well, Cheryl, I never would have asked to be paid equally to Mike. He was an enormous world star when I met him. He was our producer, our director. He co-wrote many of the shows he wrote some of them all himself so I wasn't looking for that I was only looking for what was equivalent for a top 10 show for the co-star that was it I wasn't that and that's and that's what's fair for sure and and that could be known I mean 
uh, I I think it, it the impression I got is you kind of knew what that was probably from your attorney. You know, this is what people make in that in that kind of situation, and it makes such a difference in terms of. Um, as you, you know, rightly described, um, residuals on into, you know, decades and decades. Well, I was very fortunate to have excellent attorney. And I don't know where I got the gumption to continue my battle through more than one season, through almost two seasons of putting up with very negative behavior. It was really tough, but I'll tell you something. I think it helped me to hit my bottom because uh, I got in. I got into this victim mentality. You know, you'd drink too if you had this problem, and they aren't fair to me, and all that. Mm-hmm. So, a, a, a very common story, <laughs> and maybe universal at some point with alcohol, so, huh? So yeah, resentment and uh, self pity. I mean. <laughs> And that's a straight hell down. So uh, that got me to a place where I had to take responsibility for my own self, my own feelings. My drinking had to change. Mm. So that was that was tremendous. It, it's it's interesting in the gear of this show, you know, because what you're describing is a terrible thing that happened that resulted in something you value right (laughs) and and that's you know transformation from loss is entirely what this show is about um and that experience was full of loss loss of loss of innocence loss of faith in him you know all kinds of things but because you're a person who who reflects you changed as a result in ways you would never want to give up and I, I imagine that's probably true in terms of the substantial loss of your father and the way that he died. Um, uh, you know, it was interesting to me that you were already just barely clean and sober when he died and that's that right. it could have either made you give up or reinforced your commitment. It appeared to me to reinforce your commitment. But could you talk about that and then read a little bit from the book about the loss of your father? Yeah, I was only about 60 days sober. So I wasn't even out of withdrawal yet. um, When my dad uh, committed suicide, and um, he was, you know, the favorite person in our family. That absolutely so lovable so great so funny and at the same time you know could change and be terrible (laughs) Mm. yeah so you never knew which dad was gonna show up huh well that was part of the problem in childhood definitely so i think i should read a little bit about what happened absolutely The next morning's work went quickly. I got off before lunch, stretched my legs out of the dusty station wagon, said farewell to the union driver, and hoisted my work bag with script, newspaper, and snacks I hadn't needed at the ranch. Sprung, free for the rest of the day, 
a swim, maybe a nap later. I let myself in through the tall wooden gate, walked across the flagstones, squinting at the pool flashing in the morning light. And there was Tom and some friends of his whom he was, what, collaborating on a project with? A, I can't recall, except that he got rid of them seamlessly while I reached for what? A cold drink, a glass of water, always parched when I came in from that dry location. The dust, so fine, it found its way into your pores. We were standing in the white kitchen by the counter. No furnishings yet. No curtains to soften the angles. Just the telephone and the refrigerator. Your brother in Galaw called. Something in Tom's manner froze me. My face upturned, waiting, waiting for the inevitable crash of the symbol, the fact after which everything changes. It's your father, Karen. He died. What? My incredulous, refusing mind. It must behave this way, though I knew it was true. He was gone. But what I couldn't believe and what burst out of me as I bent double, anguish throttling my cry, but he didn't say goodbye. Mm. Dear God, don't let me drink. It had been 60 some days. I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to live through this. I reached for the phone, called a sober friend. I'm afraid I'll drink. The simple reply, you never have to drink again if you don't want to. What a wise response it occurs to me. She, she didn't say, no, you won't, or this is how you don't have to. She put it squarely in your own hands. Yeah. And gave you the the steering wheel in a way. Right. And you see that moment, I reached for the phone. That's what, they tell, that's what they tell you to do. But you have to do it. <laughs> <laughs> which, which I know having, having um, worked with many clients who absolutely know that alcohol is a problem, mm-hmm. but will just, will not rely on that support. I'm not a group person, you know, whatever it is. And it's, it makes it either impossible or so much harder. Well, that's why they talk about hitting bottom. Because if you're in enough pain, you you can become teachable. And I became teachable. Boy, what, what they said, I knew they knew what they were talking about. And I knew I didn't know. And I was humbler than I'd ever been. Before that, I had an opinion about everything. <laughs> I think eventually, if we're lucky, life humbles us in a way that makes life more livable. <laughs> I guess yeah. I would say. Yeah. It's sure true of me. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but that must have been, I mean, the, the collision of you committing yourself to being clean and sober, not, not just, you know, a sort of, well, I'll try this for a while or, but I got the sense of really true, deep commitment. Yeah. 
And your father's inability to do that took his life. That's, That's such right. a hard collision. I thought it might not work for me because he had not gotten sober. And I thought I couldn't do it. But they said one day at a time. And I was like, okay, I can do one day. And that's how it builds. That really works for so many people, that particular aspect. And of course, it works in all kinds of challenges. Yeah. Um, when people, uh, you know, I do mostly grief work at this point in my in my career as a therapist. And uh, the times that I hear, I don't know how I'm going to. <laughs> I know that the person is going to suffer more. Whereas if they're saying, how do I deal with this moment? It's doable. We can deal with this moment, this day. Um, so I think it's it's a generally helpful message overall. That's why, you know, learning to be in the moment has power, I guess. Would you agree? Well, it's a big subject and uh, I'm no expert, but I have learned so much from being humbled by alcohol and becoming teachable and open to learn new ways of living. And the result is that today I have a peaceful, happy life. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what an accomplishment, the biggest accomplishment, isn't it? Um, yeah. But, you know, I'm, I was also aware you've done a lot of work to, um, as a woman's advocate, let's say, um, and in, in many, many areas, uh, I get the impression. And uh, when we come back from our next break, I really want to talk about that because I feel you couldn't have kept that up, you know, well into now uh, without having gotten clean and sober, that all your resource for responding actively to what's, what happens um, wouldn't have been as possible. Uh, you wouldn't have had the energy for one thing. So let's, let's, let's come back and talk about that uh, after the break. Listeners, you can go to my website, weatheringgrief.com or the Good Grief host page to find me. And to find Karen Grassley in her book, go to karengrassley.net. Back soon. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. What sets apart VoiceAmerica.tv from the other video content providers on the Internet? Choice and flexibility means that you can host your video content live or on demand on the main VoiceAmerica.tv channels through your own branded media player or your own private TV channel. We support multiple media formats, so all of your video content can be in one place. We offer a number of advertising and video packages. For more information, visit VoiceAmerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. Can grief be good for you? Absolutely. It gets your attention, helping you evaluate your choices and relationships. Your losses define who you are. Tune in each week for Good Grief with host Cheryl Jones. Our show features those who have made incredible transformations by grieving their losses. You'll learn how to find your courage and strength. You'll discover the important things in your life and how to let go of things that are less important. 
Good Grief airs live Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health and Wellness. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between, discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at voiceamericatrn or twitter.com forward slash voiceamericatrn. listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back to Good Grief. This is your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Karen Glassley about her memoir, bright lights, prairie dust. And, and Karen, um, we were, I was saying before the break, you know, how would you have kept up the energy to do things like make the films you made, the speaking, the, all the advocacy work you've done, as well as continuing your acting career, if you were drinking a lot? I mean, that seems like it would have been impossible. Does it seem that way to you? Well, it did help me to fall on my face. Um, publicly, which was uh, one of the best things that could have happened to me, was to have a few too many white wine spritzers before I was giving a talk to a room full of wonderful feminist conference, you know. And um, I just rattled on and on and on, Cheryl. And... (laughs) When I realized it, I sat down so embarrassed and humiliated that it would have been the same as for some people if they fell in the gutter, you know? Yes. So uh, it was an important lesson in getting me sober. That's interesting because someone very, very close to me who has been clean and sober for over 40 years, maybe even almost 42 now, um, said that most people she knew had one thing that was a make or break. I will never do this. And uh, for you, it might've been making a fool of yourself and, you know, (laughs) in a professional context or something for her, it was uh, driving her nieces and nephews after drinking. Uh, And um, she never had an accident, you know, none of that, but, she did that at some point and that was her bottom. Mm-hmm. She had just, she knew inside if she got to that point, uh Oh, right. <laughs> so I think there are those things that lead up to that. And the things that, that make you say, this can't go on. Right. Uh, and I was already deeply involved in working on this uh, film 
about battered women. I was deep in the research and the writing with my friend, Cynthia Lovelace Sears. I was making these talks and uh, this was just before the Equal Rights Amendment movement in Hollywood started. Mm. So I was newly sober and available when the Equal Rights Amendment, um, when I was made aware that we had a very short window to try and pass it and that we only needed, I think at the time it was three states. So being sober then, I was able to trust myself to go on a plane and not drink, to go out to uh, Denver, let's say, and appear at a rally. And, you know, those things get harder and harder when you're hungover or you're arriving and you're tipsy, you know, it's not good. So it allowed me to then do things that could give me more self-respect and that I could be part of what I thought was an important movement for women. Mm. And, you know, of course, uh, there are many, many movements still going on. The Equal Rights Amendment never did get ratified. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, Me Too, Time's Up. Um, of course, often I look at the progression. Sometimes it feels like progress, other days not as much in LGBTQIA rights. Um, but I do try to reflect on the things that are no longer true, like I am legally married and um, people don't have as f to fight as hard to be parents. And there have been definite changes in that in that movement and in in all of them. But um, we have to keep our spirits up to keep facing all of these various struggles, don't we? Yes. And I think it's a challenge to not go into denial about reality and still have a positive enough outlook to have energy, you know? And I guess that's one of life's challenges. And it is. And yeah, I don't want to just ignore the fact that um, it we've, we're now very shortly will be two years into um, the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Um, which has so been a challenge in that way for people to find a way to respond that is life affirming and um, empowered and, you know, under conditions that are quite unusual. Yes. Yeah. So uh, ways that people have handled the pandemic, I mean, are multiple uh, from <laughs> refusing to help out to um, being very creative. Sorry, this is supposed to be. It's okay. It's I can still hear you. Okay. <laughs> it's <me>. real life. <laughs> yeah. Um, so um, what concerns me um, is the way that we don't seem to have the same responsibility toward each other that we used to have. Um, can you imagine not getting your child vaccinated for polio? 
Oh, Karen, I've been thinking about that so much. So to me, I, I don't understand how the fabric of society is torn in such a way that people think, well, I get to make all my own decisions about what I think is right and not listen to people who are more knowledgeable. I don't understand that. Yeah, I've thought long and hard about this for sure. There's another thing about Little House, you know, that was a community. And I think one of the reasons people love it today is because there's a community where people could trust each other and help each other and be there for each other. I mean, um, yeah. So I'm very distressed by that. And I'm very concerned for the young people, your daughter, my son, how they're facing so many negative um, realities. And how are they supposed to pull themselves up by their bootstraps, you know, and forge ahead with any hope if the society at large uh, is so misbehaving, you know, just uh, really. You know, you know how we, in the 60s, I think we share this in common, um, we're so fired up when mm-hmm. we realized that things were not we couldn't trust the leaders as much as we thought we could. And, you know, um, the Vietnam War was bad. And, you know, there was a, a moment of extreme politicization for yeah. our for our generation, uh, at least for me and the people around me. Yeah, uh, I feel that's happened to a lot of people in the age group of our children. What is that? Age group? Uh, well, I have a widespread. I have three, 41, 33, and 28. Uh-huh. And, and they've all been impacted by that quite differently. But there's they're fired up. Uh-huh. Um, and you're a little older than me. You were probably affected differently than I was at that moment. <laughs> you know, but um, there's a there's a fire in them about improving uh you know one more fight they have that energy that i that i don't quite have anymore i mean right right. (laughs) i mean i don't have that i have other things that i contribute right you know there's a there's a there's a limit to what um the older generation can do yes so we only have just a couple more minutes and i'd love for you to share a little more just as um you know, a, a a touch into your wisdom on grief. Could you share another little part of your book about your dad before we get out of here? <laughs> yeah. Um, um, I. We may not quite have time. Actually, I'm seeing the clock tick back. Um, but this is very short. Okay, go right ahead then. Mama Janie and I sat together at the kitchen table, still. The note told us the truth. You don't deserve this. A scrap of paper there on the family table. It looked inconsequential. Time in slow mo. After this, what? 
years of watchfulness, years of dread, done. My sister's eyes were wide and deep. My mother's skin had crumpled like an old gum wrapper. She was grateful for one thing. Janie and I were old enough to see her side of the story. She would not lose us too. No blame. Mm. It's, uh, there's nothing more I need to say about that. You know, just the the weird way that relief and deep grief can actually coexist. Uh, having lived with someone who was ill for 10 years, I know, I know yeah. a lot about that. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a really uh, poignant intersection. And I'm sure you've continued to grapple with that. And, um, you know, grief doesn't end, does it? Well, I don't. Uh, yes, it changes. It changes, exactly. It changes. And I, I did appreciate just as we're going out, um, I did appreciate that your your uh, the end of your book was open, like we continue to change. <laughs> I want to thank you for being with me today. I've really enjoyed it. Oh, so have I, Cheryl. Thanks for having me. You bet. And go to karengrassley.net if you'd like to find the book or Karen. Next week, I'll have Karen V. Johnson. After her son died of a heroin overdose, she abruptly quit her job as a lifetime appointed judge and took a two and a half year journey around the world to try to find some peace that ultimately led to her writing Living Grieving, Using Energy Medicine to Alchemize Grief and Loss. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Abre mi corazón.